Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and together we interview a guest about their work in design, because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, we are chatting about the intersection of design thinking and change management, and the process of successfully implementing both to deliver maximum experiences, results, and outcomes to teams. I'll be joined by Tim Creasy, Chief Innovation Officer at ProSci, the global leader in change management solutions. And then later on, we'll chat with Krista Engelman, Transformation Facilitator at Microsoft. Together, they will share how they facilitate change that is critical to success. But first, I wanted to tell all of our members and subscribers that the next issue of Design Museum Magazine is on its way. It's all about the business of design and where the business of design is heading. So there's articles around new business models for designers and teams, teaching business to designers, and the role of innovation and the bottom line. If you're not a subscriber yet, check out our website, subscribe or become a member, and you'll receive the print and digital editions of Design Museum Magazine. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org. This week, we're going to talk about the role of design in change management. And listen, we all know change can be hard. So hard, in fact, that we may not know the right steps to take to implement it. But what if change could be designed to be easier, better, and more effective? So pleased to be joined by my guest co-host this week, Tim Creasy, an author, researcher, and change expert. As chief innovation officer at ProSci, Tim enables change teams to catalyze adoption and usage to deliver results and outcomes. Tim has co-authored books on the subject, including Best Practices in Change Management and Change Management, the People Side of Change. He knows that the soft side of change is actually the harder side of change and strives to empower teams to more successfully manage it. Tim's designs become mandatory reading for leaders in human resources, Six Sigma professionals, and management personnel globally. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. Excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Let's start right at the beginning, the most fundamental. What is change management? Yeah, great question. I, I joke, I've been with ProSci just over 20 years, and I've been with my partner the entire time too. And she can almost describe what it is I do for a job. Um, <laughs> and it's no knock on her. She's twice as smart as I am, at least, right? Um, but if you're not in it every single day, it's hard to spot it, but we've all felt it. So uh, change management is how we prepare, equip, and support our people through the changes they experience so that they are more successful, the project or the change we're trying to implement in the organization is more successful, and uh, ultimately the organization succeeds. So I started doing this when I was traveling. Do you remember business travel? <laughs> I, I somewhat remember that. <laughs> uh, so I'd walk up to the rental car counter and they'd say, are you here for business or pleasure? And I'd say, business. And they'd say, what is it you do for a job? And I'd say, oh, do you have like an hour and a half? Um, <laughs> Let's get into it. I appreciate that you like the joke. They, they don't like the joke necessarily, right? They just want to get you uh, into your car. And so my wife's like, you got to stop using that joke. They're going to put you in the lemon the next time. Um, <laughs> so I changed my strategy and I pointed at the screen and I said, you remember the last time they changed this on you? They updated the order registration system. And they said, oh, my God, it was the worst <laughs> three months. Because just like you said, Sam, right, uh, change is the norm. It's hard. But successful change is in reach if we understand the moving parts that make up successful change. So that's kind of what we do is uh, how do you prepare, equip, and support people through the changes you ask them to make. 
when companies, clients approach ProSci, approach you, or they say, I need change management, or do they come to you with challenges that then you're sort of like, okay, let's let's work through this. What, what does that first step look like? Yeah, great, great question. And I listened to your episode about, you know, reimagining of the workplace. And that's kind of a great example, right? Because they don't come saying we need change management. They come saying, we have to figure out the future of the workplace. All these assumptions we made about the office being where you had to go to do work, those don't hold true anymore. And so we need to be thoughtful about how we step into reimagining what our workplace is and then helping people to engage with, adopt, and use whatever that solution is we come up with. So I often describe it as kind of change is like a coin. There's a people side of change and a technical side of change. Every single change has a technical side where we design, develop, and deliver a solution. And that doesn't have to be technological, right? It doesn't have to be technology. It can be new processes. It could be a merger. It could be how you design, decide to, to navigate the future of the workplace. But that's the technical side of the change. And then the other side of the coin is the people side of change. And that's where our people engage with, adopt, and use the solution. What's something that is misunderstood about change that leaders or people often get wrong? We use the phrase change management to describe our discipline. The, the outcomes we provide are the people-dependent portion of a change's value. That's what we deliver. But the discipline is named change management. And people will kind of push back on me and say, well, Tim, change is much more organic than that. You know, change happens. Like there's, it's, it's arrogant to think you can just manage change because, and I, and I come back, you know, human beings are way too beautifully complex and wonderful to, to think that any of this is prescriptive or predictive. Right. The analogy I use though is time management. You can't control time, but can you manage your time? And change is the same way. You can't control change as in you predict the outcome, but you can better understand the moving parts that make up successful change so that you can lean heavier on them. You can understand the most common obstacles people step into or fall into or get pushed into, and you can avoid those obstacles. And so that's, I think, one of the big challenges, folks, they, they think, oh, it's just, it's, it's organic, it's going to happen, we shouldn't try to manage it. And I think it's a throw, it's an advocation. You want to know another one we step into for everybody listening on the podcast, since I know they're only listening, I'm holding up my <laughs> iPhone and showing it to Sam right now. Uh, the iPhone is a big challenge in this discipline of change as well. Uh, because we can fall into the assumption, if we just build intuitive solutions, won't people just bring them to life? Mm. Right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that iPhone, they just build it intuitively. They don't have to teach me how to do it. And is intuitive better than not in times of change? Absolutely. Uh, is intuitive enough to get the mind share, the buy-in, the commitment, the adoption and usage we need from the organization around this change? Oh, certainly not enough. Same with should we engage people in designing solutions, right? Participatory solution design. It's fantastic, right? You get people to help you spot the actual challenges, help to articulate not just the solution they've envisioned, but the actual problem they have so you can actually solve it. But is that enough to get them bought into the solution that ends up coming out the other end? Not necessarily. So engaging people better than not, is it sufficient to get the adoption and usage we need? Not quite. And that's where this discipline, research-based discipline of change management comes to life. I'm so curious on what is your actual deliverable to a client? Is it a paper? Is it a diagram? Is it a whole bunch of stuff? I'm wondering kind of when the rubber hits the road or the pen hits the paper, what is the, the thing 
you know, that folks are rallying around that you're pointing to, like, is there some magical document that documents the change in, the, in your recommendations? Yeah, we're still looking for like the elixir and the magic right. beans. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. one of my favorite clients, he works at a large federal uh, government organization here in the US. Uh, he was engaging one of his senior leaders to help him better understand their role as a sponsor of change. And out of our research came the ABCs of sponsorship. It's the kind of neat thing is it fell out of two decades of research. But in times of change, Sam, you as the as the leader need to be an active and visible participant. You need to build a coalition of support. That's the B. And you need to communicate directly. That's the C. You can actually do all those things. I'm confident you can. You just typically don't know what exactly you're supposed to be doing in support of this change. So RS was engaging this leader and they're like, "Can't you? don't you just have something easy to make this happen? And he goes, yeah, just leave the door open at night and I'll come in and sprinkle the sponsorship <laughs> dust on the desk. So the question of the deliverable of the business is interesting because it kind of gets at the evolution of ProSci as an organization. So when we began, we were founded by an engineer who wanted to be a product-only company, binders and books. And so we were a research organization that published these big three-ring binders of the steps you could take as you put together a project to make sure you're adding the people side of change into those steps. How do you add it into how do you approve? How do you add it into how you design and develop? And out of that came a real structured methodology that a project team will run right alongside their project methodology to build out those deliverables for the people side. So books and binders at first, uh, we were pulled into the training world in 2005. People kept saying, will you please come do training on it? And the boss said, no, I want to sell books and binders. And I kept pushing at him. And finally, he said, here's the thing. We're not going to do training. We're going to do a transformational experience that helps people see change as conquerable. A challenge of change they had always had, but they can now see it as something they can overcome. If you can design to that standard, we'll step into this. And so we began teaching sort of our cornerstone three-day certification program, real experiential. You have to bring a real project you're working on and actually apply the methodology, build the plans and tools. And then subsequently in recent years, we've stepped into providing advisory services where we'll actually come alongside a design team. We're working with a team right now that's rolling out their, again, reimagining the workplace solution for a huge federal energy organization. The neat thing, Sam, is the universal common denominator is human beings. So we work across industry, across organization size. I had one training program I went to and I worked with a person who was working with seven visual communicators. So they worked at an engineering architecture firm and they had to figure out how to communicate architectural principles to someone like me so I could understand them, right? And she was trying to bring a little process to how those creative people worked. And so she talked about how she brought the ProSci approach and the methodology, and in particular, our understanding of how one person changes to the table. The next gal right after that got up and she was rolling out a global diversity strategy across a 65,000 person multinational. And she talked about the challenges of how do you get buy-in and commitment? How do you get senior leaders demonstrating their support? How do you help people understand why, why now, what if we don't understand the what's in it for them and really step into the change through awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, reinforcement, which is kind of those five building blocks we try to take somebody through. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for this primer, more than a primer on change management. I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm excited to continue this conversation. So listeners, to see more of Tim's work, visit ProSci.com. We'll post a link. 
and Tim stick around and we'll bring Krista Engelman into the conversation after a quick break. If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's the museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. We're back. And we're joined by our special guest, Krista Engelman, Transformation Facilitator at Microsoft. With more than 20 years experience coaching individuals, teams, and organizations on their digital transformation journey, Krista has a passion for people and change management. At Microsoft, Krista has led change management activities for large-scale change programs in international environments and orchestrated their global execution. Krista designs with the simple goal to enable people to make friends with the unknown and embrace change more quickly and easily. Krista, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Sam. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thanks for being here. Tim and I chat a little bit about like, so how, how do you make this work real? How do you display it? And I read that you have a process of visual facilitation to help facilitate the change. Can you walk us through what that looks like and paint a picture for us? I use it in every stage of, of the process, whether it's with an individual, whether it's with the change team, whether it's with the people impacted. So a little bit hard it got for me when we have all been hit by this COVID corona thing, because I just learned how to do it all in kind of person to person with pen and paper. And then uh, we all have found ourselves in the virtual world. But um, I have to say it, it works as well. It Okay, probably it needs a little bit of a different uh, equipment, but um, you can do it either face-to-face -face and you can do it also virtually. And what I do, for me, the simplest thing, I have, I'm not so close friends with digital, so I'm still working with, with pen, pen and paper. I I'm, I'm, have a document camera. And the simplest thing is what happened with a colleague of mine in, from, from the US. She called me, hey, can we talk about my customer? This is the situation. Um, what, what should I do? What could I do? So having a discussion with her, putting some visualizations and developing, I call it thinking with the pen and thinking with the pen together. So within 30 minutes, um, I started off and said, yeah, you probably have this and you have that and you have that and these are the start, uh, starting points. And she said, okay, no, we don't have this. So kind of not delete it out, but cross it out again. And then this was the starting point. And then we discussed how to go forward. She at least told me we have been pretty quick in developing a plan. It took us about 30 minutes. And she said, okay, Yes, it makes sense to me. I can I can talk to my team about it. And, and yeah, please, can you share? Because then it's easier for me to share as well. This is especially in this virtual world where I, I, I see people on the videos waving with their hands and trying to explain <laughs> something. Um, when I put down, again, paper and pencils and try to visualize what I'm hearing, 
uh, then we get a lot more quicker to the essence of what the discussion should be. So uh, this is a very simple example that I think everybody also can do. Yeah, it's striking me that like, I often think that everyone on my team, we all have our own thoughts, right? That aren't connected to each other, our own ideas of what's happening. And then even when we talk about it, there's like the impermanence of audio, of our voices. And I wonder if this is the pure power of getting out of your head and onto paper or onto a wall. What does that mean for us to then be able to sort of like get it out of our brain and see it, right? As a group, right? It's almost like that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? The other interesting thing is when Krista draws it, Sam, Tim, and Krista are all looking at the same thing on that page. Right. And I think there's something unifying about that, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm sometimes, I'm only in the role of a facilitator. So I'm not really engaging in, in their discussion. But still, then I draw, I draw what I hear. And then it's mm -hmm. the interesting things that come up because I was watching a group of people discussing on a, on a topic of, of how to use data in, in change management. And I felt they are, they are talking kind of aside of each other. And then mm -hmm. I could not hold back again, piece of paper, pen, and I started drawing and then it came, no, 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 no that's not what I meant. I, I wanted to say something different. And I think right. this kind of second channel that we are opening up uh, when we are looking at things, not only words, yes, words can create worlds, but visuals help to make it rich and help with the interpretation. And normally people then discover more quickly if they are on the same page or, or not. So I think that in, it's, a, it's a very unique also connection between the hand and the brain. That connection also for, for myself, for example, I have drawn my, my personal map in, in 2018 when I took the first, uh, the, the first curriculum. And uh, yeah, I have left it aside. I never thought of it again. And, but it was a journey <laughs> for me to get that map where I was coming, mm, where I mm -hmm. wanted to go to, the rough water, the land, the islands, the, the, the lighthouse at the end. So it took me about a month to, to really visualize um, what, what I wanted to be in, in the next two to three years. And this is kind of, for me, it was the power that the, the visuals made me or helped me think. And again, when I now uh, discovered it again this year, I guess, and I looked at it and said, Oh my God, I, I was not aware that I have come that far. I had a plan and yes, I have followed that plan. I don't know if it was incidentally or if it really stick in my brain as I was really drawing it up, but it gave me a good feeling when looking at the map and say, okay, I moved from here to here, from here to there. Oh, a little spot here is left, but um, Good progress, Krista. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> I, love, I love that you facilitated yourself. <laughs> I'm curious. So uh, you mentioned th these visuals, you know, are happening sort of in the moment uh, with a group of people or with an individual or with yourself um, and sort of a, you know, a rough kind of visual, whether it's post-its, quick sketches, you know, I'm thinking like Sharpies. Do these visuals ever get refined into more like tools or maps that then are shared and how does that process work? Yes, yes, I think so. What, what you develop a vocabulary for yourself. I use it on really small scale. It's still a little bit harder now in the virtual world. What I used to do is kind of big template things like 
you, you take a journey through the wood or through the mountains and have, have a, choose a template that fits the topic that you want to explore. For example, with, with a team now, um, I have developed a kind of stargazer uh, template mm. because we are <laughs> at the very beginning. Um, we wanted to see where, where is our starting point, what, what are all the options in the sky, what, what is it that we can do. And then from that, we, we narrowed it down a little bit. And the habit is that, that you then you go back to this. You don't use it only for one workshop because you want to see, okay, I have done this and I have done that as a team. Uh, that has come in our way, so we put stones on on the roads and so on. So it's it's more a, a living for me. It's a more a living picture. It's not something that is finished at the end. It's probably finished when our journey is finished. With the people, it gets them on the same path. It gets them on on the same on the same page. And even if you do a little bit of a I don't know, I call it a, a visual check in at the beginning. Because these days, everybody is jumping from one meeting to another. They're tired. Uh, look at, stare at another um, video set of, of different people. So sometimes I do a kind of check-in with visuals, uh, draw, give them circles to draw. And then they do with the circles whatever they want. And then they, they sh share out the, the stories behind their circles. So it gives them a little break. It makes them do something different. And it makes then, as they tell their story, it gets their personalities up again. And it makes people connect with people and not only with, with the subject of the meeting and what we have to achieve and their agenda. Because I feel, as you said, it very rightly, I'm passionate about people. And I want that people get more seen, more heard, more space. We are not only working on a subject, on a topic, um, on an objective. We are, we are people that want to join ourselves to bigger group to achieve something and especially in these virtual times giving allowing people time to connect to socialize to to understand the other's personality a bit better i think this is very very important and especially also in change because everybody comes with their own history yeah krista i think highlighting that you know the people side is so important there. I know that you spend a lot of your time in the digital transformation space as well. And so could you talk to us a little bit about kind of how important the people side is on these digital transformations that organizations are tackling? Because I would imagine the digital transformation path with intentionality to the human experience during that change would look very different than the digital transformation path if we leave the people side of change up to chance again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's it's really now common knowledge for everybody that if we're talking digital transformation, it's about people transformation. And me, especially coming from a technology company, um, I think to, to settle that in also within our company is, is something we are still constantly working on because we are so much quicker with technology. We can deploy teams or we, we can uh, upgrade or migrate applications, but still, if people don't change the way they are working, how they do what they do, whether it's simple collaboration, communication, or when it gets more um, in, into agile way of working, agile product cycles, and before they did it waterfall, and they still have customers kind of, yes, yes, we do an agile project, but hey, give me the plan until the end of the project. 
and and I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, not quite there with the change. I think we have we have to investigate in that topic. At the moment, I feel with all this digitalization, we are overwhelming people a little too much. And people need probably a little bit more time than everybody thinks we need. We cannot simply deploy software to our heads and then the world changes from one day uh, to another. Again, my, my passion is bringing a little bit more, again, humanity, people side in there. And also what we are doing with change. And we had one, one team, I think I started working with them in 2018. And it was kind of one, the first project where we had the people team, the technology team, and the security and compliance team in the same team, equally important with, with the same budget. Can you imagine the people team had the same budget as the technology team, which is a very rare situation to, to have. The success has proven us right with that, uh, with that approach. It was much smoother. The uptake with the people was much quicker. So I think it, it pays off when you really focus on people alongside technology. I kind of zoom out question for both of you. Is change accelerating? Right. <laughs> just I guess I'm turning 40 soon. I, now I'm just starting to like feel old and I'm like looking back and I'm like, man, there's a lot that's changing around us. So that's part one of the question. And then part two is just I'd love to hear more examples of types of change challenges that people are coming to you with, to both of you with. Yeah, Sam, I'd, uh, you know, one of the wild thing is back in October of 2015, I started giving a talk called Organizational Agility is a Strategic Imperative. Um, and I know it was October of 2015 because I used the Back to the Future, you know, where he jumped forward in time as kind of like the the level setter, because sure enough, we don't have flying cars and flying uh, skateboards yet. And that was pre-pandemic, right? So we are dealing with bigger change, faster change. I think we're dealing with more complex and interconnected change, which I think is a really interesting part. Uh, it used to be that department did a change, that department did a change. As soon as we start to integrate and tie things together, um, we actually amplify the ripples in the in importance of getting the people side change uh, of change correct. Um, we're certainly exposed to more information than we've been in our lives, right? I was cleaning out my office and I found an old three and a half inch floppy drive. You know, do you remember those discs, Sam, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm talking to people in classes now that don't remember those discs, right? Uh, 1.44 megabytes, right? Now think about how many gigabytes we've consumed creating this podcast. I mean, the amount of information is like nothing before and we're connected like we've never been before. Um, we're all in different, we're, we might be in different continents, all four of us, right? Um, people are listening to this wherever they're setting. So I think that velocity um, is like nothing we've ever experienced, but at the same time, our capacity and capability to make sense of what's coming at us is at a, a level we've never had before as well, right? Um, People talk about this volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. Um, and certainly that feels like how things are today. But I woke up one morning, was supposed to fly to Denver to go to my headquarters. And there was to be or not be a snowstorm, which is kind of how Colorado December snow goes. So I rolled over, went onto Facebook and said, hey, all my friends in northern Colorado, did the snow pan out? And in three minutes, I had real time weather feedback from every single spot up and down the i-25 corridor that's that's a different 
the velocity of change is like nothing, but our command of what's going on around us is accelerating as well. So I think it's exciting and fast for sure. Um, Krista, I'm sure your clients are experiencing huge volumes of change, huh? Yeah, yeah. From small to big. And also I asked myself personally, is it just me getting older and not being able to deal with so much uh, anymore? But uh, luckily, Tim, what you said, okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear this, um, that you also see an accelerating amount of change. And I hear it also from, from colleagues, from, from friends, from customers, that does not matter. It's, it's, and it's in all areas of life. It's in private life. It's in, it's in business life. Some of these changes are more welcome than the others. And I think what it makes it with all that speed that we have in the economy, in um, what is impacting people, I think the amount of the unknown is always increasing. When, when we do something, there is no straight line anymore. If I do this, the result will be that for sure. The straight line between doing something and getting that exact impact, this, this is no, no longer the case. So we are kind of always in, we are changing something, then we are watching it, we are reflecting, and, and then we, we need to adjust again, because in that complexity, Tim, that you also mentioned, it's hardly that everything is on a straight line forward. There are, there are curves, there are, I don't know, other, other hurdles around. So, and to me, my, my stress factor is always kind of in change, it's, it's the unknown. But um, I'm a person having wanting to control a, a little my life and what I'm doing. But I have learned over the past years um, a, a better a better notion is go with the flow. And uh, this is also what what I'm saying. We have to give up a little bit on the control. We have to embrace uncertainty. We have to um, kind of yes, we have accept to accept that we fail sometimes. And that that's not, not not something absolutely bad because only we learn when we fail. So and and then then we can grow again. So yes, the unknown is for me the biggest challenge when it comes to to change the, the, the amount of things we don't know yet. And yes, sometimes we can get a quick answer on kind of hey, are you already hit by the yeah? And here we are curious now on the island. Are we getting another thunderstorm tomorrow? But sometimes it's it's more it's really more complex. And I think the pandemic gave us right the most individual and collective change we've ever experienced as a globe. Right? I'll have one employee that calls up and says, "Tim, I've got four kids at home. There's no way I can come back into the office." And another employee that calls up ten minutes later and says, "Tim, I have four kids at home. Can I come back in the office last week?" Um, right? And so all of us have our own individual worlds that we're living in as we navigate. Um, I think the one thing the pandemic did was cause the involuntary digital transformation, because I think leaders were talking about digital transformation for years and they were so enamored with the zeros and ones and not the underlying fabric of how we can be different. Um, and so that I think one of the biggest challenges, one of the things I'm most interested to watch right now is that so ProSci on March 1st, 2020, had taught zero virtual training programs. We were we only taught in-person training. And so when the pandemic hit, we had to revolutionize how we did our operations. 
Each organization is on the spectrum but between responding to the pandemic, like, okay, let's just respond to it. Let's just, come on, let's just, you know, temper it down. We'll just respond and then we'll go back to how things were. We're either there or we're in the, we evolved and revolved the way we do things because we had to. And so I think some of the biggest challenges in change right now are those that had not yet swallowed the pill, that it's a whole new world in front of us um, that we need to actively step into and embrace with intentionality and design. And I think, Tim, as you said, again, about the digital, I think the one thing that people struggle a lot is with, with data insights. For, for example, we have now a, a lot of data on, on people or not, not individuals, but what, what are patterns of behaviors that we see in an, in an organization. And, and with that, we have kind of a, a unique position also in, in change to see uh, where are kind of the islands of the good behaviors, where, where good that the wanted behaviors, where do we struggle? How does change flow through an, through an organization? Where does it get stuck? Uh, for me, it's it's exciting, but for my counterparts in on the customer side, it's it's frightening. It seems it's more for me. I feel the excitement, and, and the, I say I can understand people and organizations better. Not only when I bring the both sides together, the data side together, and what are people telling me about it, then then I can wrap the context around the data and make it really meaningful and inform the change program better. But um, customers, sometimes I feel that's too much of transparency for them. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really what, what they are up for already. So for me, it's a, this, in change, also the digital transformation with a lot of data that we can use to, to steer change, to guide change. That's kind of an exciting thing, but we need to kind of again, lose our fear of, of data a bit more and have a bit more trust that we use it in the sense for the good and not against people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about for a team, say, that doesn't have that access to change management experts or facilitators, but they're you know coming up against real important change? What's your advice to them for things that they can do themselves to manage that change and come out the other side. Yeah, Sam, because yeah, not uh, not every organization is going to have job roles and change management offices and centers of excellence. Um, I think a couple of thoughts here. First of all, uh, much of this is common sense, not commonly applied. Um, so you, as you look into even the depths of some of the robust tools that ProSci has built, much of it is stuff that we know we should be doing. We just haven't been structured in a way to, to step forward and do it. Uh, at the ProSci.com website, we have a tremendous amount of free resources available, uh, tutorials, blogs, webinars. One of my favorites is around what we call the five tenets of change management. Um, and each of the five tenets has what I think is even more interesting for this audience, which is a plain language question that helps us attack that element of change. And so I'll give you the five plain language questions. Why are we changing? Number two is who has to do their job differently and how? Number three is how much of our outcomes depend on people adopting and using this change? Number four, what can I do to prepare, equip, and support people through their adoption journey? And number five, what's the value if we help people be successful in their own change journey? 
Now, certainly, if I'm, uh, we use the ProSide methodology to move around 250,000 military personnel around the planet a number of years ago, right? So there are complex plans that live underneath this if we're going to do it at scale. But in the end, it's boiling down to what are those quintessential questions that each leader can ask and answer uh, with themselves and with their people to start moving this thing forward. And I'll give you one other really simple one that we saw a tech firm start to use. Um, awareness is that first building block of the ProSci Adcar model, awareness of the need for change. We have three simple questions. Why? Why now? What if we don't? And given how much change is going on today, I've added a fourth one. Why this instead of that? If you leader, as a leader, Sam, can start answering why, why now, what's the risk if we don't, and why this instead of that, just in conversations and emails, wherever it is, the amount of momentum, that mindset shift that you can start to engender around the change, that's, uh, it'll be measurable. You'll, you'll feel it um, when people internalize those, even those simple answers. Yes, yes, definitely. And I would say, don't put change on people. I think uh, nobody likes that somebody puts something on you. And the other one is don't, again, don't mandate it from the top, but trust that you have hired the right people in your organization and trust that they know uh, how to do it better or how to change to the better. So I'm a little bit fighting for, as a facilitator, crowdsource the change. Let them let them give the pace, let them decide what's doable. Uh, let them also inform you where are boundaries, why they cannot do what you're asked they're asked to do. So it's kind of yeah, follow one one facilitator principle is there is a leader in every chair. And and if if you follow that one and are respecting the other's profession and the knowledge and the history. And, and acknowledge that the people want to do the best they can do, then um, I think best informed change is when you listen, really listen to your people and then, and then really act on it. Listening without acting will create, destroy any motivation, but listen to them, help them act on it and, and grow and improve that, that way. And I think the third one is also especially for leaders, as I said before, the unknown is, is challenging. Let people know when you don't know. Be, be, be honest with, with that and also say, okay, we will find out. Maybe it goes the right direction. We will see the results and maybe not. But don't pretend that you know everything as a leader because you simply can't. That's a great place to end. You both, thank you so much for this conversation. Krista, thank you for being here, sharing your expertise. Thanks, everybody. It was a pleasure. I hope every one of our listeners knows about Microsoft, but you can check out the results <laughs> of Chris's work. Visit Microsoft.com. And now it's that time. Every week on our show, we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. Uh, this week, I'm excited to share a weekly dose of good design from our newest employee at Design Museum Everywhere, our exhibitions manager, J.R. Uretsky. J.R. shares the Dirt Palace and the Wedding Cake House in Providence, Rhode Island. The Dirt Palace at the Wedding Cake House is an ambitious restoration project of the historic 
514 Broadway property, last occupied by the Tarachi sisters and the couture design business they ran from the location from 1915 to 1947. The renovation will develop artists and residence quarters, which will complement the feminist residency program and facilities at the Dirt Palace's current location in Olneyville Square. Now the house is operating as a bed and breakfast that supports artist residences that also occur in the house. JR says the design wow factor here is that both places are basically art installations that are ever evolving, pending on the artists living and working out of the two locations. So you can view some of the rooms at the Wedding Cake House on Airbnb, which we'll link in our episode page and check out that at designmuseumeverywhere.org. JR, thank you so much for sharing your weekly dose. Tim, you're up next. Thank you, Sam. So um, the design that blows me away is when we can package and pass an idea really, really clearly uh, so that it gets reassembled. And so my example is actually my sister-in-law, Katie Mather, who teaches kindergarten. And she had a student in her new year this year that has some behavioral and some learning challenges. And she was having a really hard time connecting with him about what task there was to be done. She ended up taking an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and drawing a little sketch of the, let's say the circle, the reading circle. Uh, and she would hold it up and point to it and he would wander over and sit down in the reading circle. She'd hold up a sketch of the door for recess and point to it and he'd wander over to it. So she created herself a set of these visual flashcards to the notion of what Krista has shared with us on this episode that was able to close the gap of misalignment and miscommunication, uh, help her and him get on the same page in a way that created a sense of ease and comfort uh, in the classroom and for both of them. And so uh, it was an impromptu design, but it was one that I thought really illustrated how we can package and pass ideas uh, so that the reassembled idea is as close to what we intended as possible. That's so cool. I love that. I'm going to use that with my kids. <laughs> Amazing. Tim, this is so, so great. Thanks so much for being here and you know sharing in this really interesting topic that's so, so needed right now. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having us and for helping us share the message of intentionality with the human experience in times of change. All right, that's our show. Again, I want to thank Tim Creasy and Krista Engelman for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll post links to the resources we discussed today on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. You can always find the latest from the Design Museum on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. You can also search for us on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Plus, we have an awesome weekly email newsletter. So you can sign up for that right on our website. Get the latest from the museum right in your inbox. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Design Is Everywhere. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, we have a new episode every Thursday morning. Rating and reviewing really helps us reach more people so we can keep chatting about the transformational power of design each week. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk again next week.